Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, amazing community's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Sniper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. How you guys doing? I'm good. Good. Oh, you know, the usual. The snow outside. Yes, I wish there had been more. Sick. There's, there, there's a slight disadvantage of being in the city because there's usually so much car traffic that, like, the snow is automatically cleared almost, if that makes sense, unless it's insane. So there's, like, almost no accumulation on the roads here. There's all the slush on the intersections. Yes, yes, the, gre- the gray sloppy muck that no one likes. <clears throat> All right, so we have a lot to cover this week, so I'm just going to skip over everything, and we're going to jump right into the 2022 top prospect list. Last week, we went over the guys that just missed our individual lists and and obviously just missed making the uh, combined list itself. So this week, we're going to run through some of the names, well, not some, we're going to run through all of the names that have been uh, discussed and and written up on, you know, Amazing Avenue, the site. So we'll start this week with number 25, Robert Dominguez, who we spoke about last week. He was uh, Ken's number 26th pick. Um, you know, nothing has obviously changed in <laughs> about Dominguez or any of our opinions regarding him in the last couple of days since we last talked about him, so we'll just kind of very briefly, you know, for anyone that forgot, he's very young. He was signed in uh, November 2019. He didn't really get much hype or anything like that uh, when he first became an international free agent, um, so no one signed him. He went back to the drawing board, and he gained quite a few miles per hour on his fastball, and all of a sudden everyone was interested, and the Mets lucked out and signed him. Last season was his first season as a professional. Very, very, very limited innings and wasn't too impressive with the actual stats. But, you know, uh, a lot to dream on. Very good fastball. Uh, you know, developing slider, developing changeup. Uh, good body. You know, very much the prototypical what you want to see young right-hander. Uh, next up is number 24, Levi David. He was selected in last year's draft, the ninth round, out of Northwestern State University of Louisiana. Um, 
He never actually pitched professionally last year. Um, so Can we know. just say that Levi David sounds like an extra on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm? <laughs> yes. He's, he's very generic. Uh, this is my David Jewish Curry. baseball playing cousin, <laughs> Levi David. Yeah. Let me get you an email from the Anti-Defamation League for being <laughs> too overtly stereotypical. Uh, Lucas strikes again. Uh-huh. All the angry emails. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he um, – last year's draft, Matt signed him for a little bit below slot value, um, didn't pitch, six foot. 220-pound right-hander, so, you know, that's a good starting profile. Um, fastball, you know, sits in the low 90s, can occasionally hit higher, you know, in, in the mid to high 90s. Um, you know, very run-of-the-mill fastball. His uh, curveball, though, is what makes him stand out, what makes him relevant, what makes him a prospect. It's a very good pitch. It's, you know... Very easily above average to plus. Arguably, you know, maybe even plus plus. Obviously, we need to see him uh, throw as a professional and get some professional hitters out before we can, you know, say that, I would say. But um, what's the stat here? Uh, it had a... Okay, so hitters went 5 for 98 against it in the Southland Conference. He got 80 strikeouts and a 72% swing and miss rate with that one pitch. So that's a very good pitch. This is in a D1 division, too. Like, that's yeah. a... Solid. It's a real nice pitch. Now, the numbers weren't really all too crazy. Last season, uh, he had a 4.43 ERA in 61 innings over 13 starts and one relief appearance. But in those 61 innings, he struck out 104 batters, which is exceptional. <laughs> yeah. And he basically did that by spamming the curveball. He basically doubled its usage. He almost threw it 40% of the time last season. And that's obviously why he got the strikeouts. And also, even though those numbers are kind of bleh, they are a lot better than the numbers that he posted in 2019 and 20, you know, and the very limited innings. That he threw in 2020. Yeah, his problem is definitely that his um, he has one of the longer arm actions I've seen from a recent prospect, and the control problems that result are uh, evident in the stat line and also just from watching him. And very often, it feels like he doesn't finish his delivery. Um. The ball tails up and away to, to or, or tails to his arm side. Uh, but when that curveball, like the dude's clearly got a feel for spin, and that's that's something to work on. And maybe if you correct the the delivery a little bit, there's something there. Um, I'm surprised to see that I was the highest dude on him. Actually, I see two people ranked him 23rd, and I only had him 25th. <laughs> I mean, really, it's easier talking inches, but... Yeah, yeah. 22nd, excuse me. Well, Steve and Ken had him at 22. With a guy like this, where obviously the stats are just kind of like, 
also, you know, these are college stats. Keep in mind, he hasn't thrown a professional inning yet. But, like, guys like this where it's just kind of like an eh profile, but then there's one thing that really jumps out off the page at you. I always think of Seth Lugo. And, you know, for a while, he was just kind of like an eh arm in the system and, you know, didn't really get too much hype or anything like that. And I remember on whatever year it was prospect list, like the only person that really saw anything out of him was Jeff, who was still here at the time. He ranked him, you know, wherever on the prospect list, like in the teens, I guess, whatever. Not like crazy high or anything like that. But basically based off of the fact that Lugo had one really good pitch, a curveball, and you can work with that. And then lo and behold, you know, he's a a pretty solid uh, pitcher at the major league level now. So... When you have a, a prospect, a minor league pitcher, whatever, that has like one really solid pitcher that you could really work off of, that's it's good. It's a good base to start with. Luco also did have some. I'm looking at it now. He had some control problems in college, like walked more than four batters per nine. It looks like um, wasn't nearly that high once he got into the professional side. So do we know where David was? Was he at like an instructs or something, or was he just not playing at all? Was he one of those arms they just shut down completely? Could not tell you. Mm. Like I wonder if they were reworking the delivery a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, though, like that is his biggest problem. It's just the delivery and the mechanics don't help. And then obviously, you know, a, a pitch like that, it moves a lot. So he's going to have to... Get help, you know, learning how to throw it four strikes and then obviously, you know, added the zone too. But yeah, this is the kind of guy that good coaching will really benefit. And it's a, it's like a one solid thing that like, even if he doesn't end up being a starter, you stick him in the bullpen and let him throw his, his mm-hmm. pitch like more than everything else and you call it a day. Like Lugo was an okay starter, but he really thrived in that multi-inning bullpen role for that reason. So... Like, I don't want to shove him there immediately, but also, if that's where it ends up, that's a fine outcome. It's an underslot ninth-round pick. Exactly. Yep. I would still let him start, but exactly. It's an underslot ninth-round pick. If push comes to shove and it looks like he can't start, then just put him in the bullpen. No one is really going to care. If you get anything out of a player uh, at this point in the draft, that's a massive win. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Even, like, Josh Edgen, like... He was like a whatever round pick. Like, he was good for like a year and a half or two years, and that's amazing. <laughs> that's, a na- that's a name I've totally forgotten. <laughs> yep. All right, so after – so uh, David is number 24. After him is number 23, um, a infielder slash outfielder, Carlos Cortez – he was drafted in the 2018 draft, third round, got over slot money. The Mets really liked him because they drafted him the year prior, and he elected not to sign with them and instead go honor his commitment to uh, University of South Carolina. But basically, in his time as a professional, his his time as a professional has been very underwhelming. Especially when you consider how much the Mets liked him, you know, to draft him twice, to, to give him overslot money, um, and, and not just like a little bit of overslot money, almost $300,000 overslot money, 
which is, you know, pretty good. But, um, you know, he started out the 2021 season, this past season, pretty hot. In the first two months of the season, he hit 287, 353, 551, nine homers, and basically a, a one to two walk to strikeout rate. But then in the last two months of the season, he hit 236, 314, 423, five homers, and uh, basically a one to three walk to strikeout rate. So, you know, uh, I'm just so over talking about Carlos Cortez, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, like, at this point, it is what it is. He's probably going to make the big leagues. There's not a particularly good chance he sticks for a while. Yep. You know? He's going to make the big leagues for three weeks. Everyone's immediately going to realize he's bad, and we're going to move on. Yep. yep. Daryl Siciliani or Danny Mono to Electric Boogaloo. Of course, like, then you have the Patrick Mazika situation where he hit the ball, like, a sum total of... 70 feet and had three walk-off RBIs. So who the hell knows? Because baseball. Honestly, I don't even know if Carlos Cortez makes the majors. I don't. Spent, I, I see it as they've spent enough money where uh, it's going to happen. That yeah, that that could. Be and the case. it's not like he's been like bad. You know, he's never been like straight up bad. Was he a? Um... He's been like fine, which I'm unfortunately having... isn't good enough when you you know. Can't really add anything on the defensive end. I feel like I'm having an actual stroke. Who's the longtime Mets scouting director? Tommy uh, Tannis. Tannis, thank you. Was Tan? Tan- he's he was a Tannis pick, right? Probably. Tannis yeah. has been here for here forever, right? Yeah. I mean, he's gonna he's also gonna make the majors because the Mets have no upper minor steps. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's not like he's gonna make the majors and everyone, even the Mets, are gonna be like happy about it. It's gonna be like three dudes got hurt and it's August and they're like, well, Carlos Cortez could stand at his <laughs> position. You know, it's gonna be one of those things. Like he's not making it to make an impact. He's making it because they shit bodies. happens and it's a long season and COVID is gonna still be a thing, I'm sure, and people are gonna be getting sick. So like, and people are gonna be getting hurt. Like it's just gonna happen. I don't know. I, I would I would rather see, you know, uh, Rajai Davis or Matt Reynolds. I mean, Vargas. that assumes that those guys also won't be there. Like, right. Like I would with, rather see the retreads that get signed than Cortez because I just do not see anything redeeming about the guy. With how COVID is, it might be that many people because we don't know what's going to happen next with it. And That's actually a really good has, point. And, and baseball has, like, from what we understand right now, the vaccination rates have not been as high as in other sports, and other sports are still getting hit. So, like, if the baseball side of things doesn't improve, then it's going to be a lot more unvaxxed players, and there's going to be a lot more time missed with those players. So you might really see some deep cuts on some teams, not just the Mets. Like, this isn't a Mets problem. Like, this is just how it might be next year. That is very true. I just want him to be. Ironically, I feel like I'm reaching the point that we've heard Jeff moan about on various podcasts for years of just like being tired about talking about a specific guy and just wanting him to fucking graduate so we can move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh please. I just I just checked because you reminded me and I, I didn't actually I wanted to look and I completely forgot. Kyrie Irving had twenty two points the other day. Hell yeah. 
Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Of players. At least Djokovic can't play in the open. Good job, oh, Australia. Nope, they, the, the government was like, uh, no, you can go fuck yourself and kicked him out of the country again. Because he was trying to be like, I had COVID within a few months. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. Fine. Medical I exemption, I can't be vaccinated. Yeah. Fuck That's you, the man. last thing I saw. I would feel bad for someone getting dicked around at the last moment, but apparently he's also like a horrible person, so good. Yes, yes. All right, so probably, hopefully not a horrible person, is number 22 on our prospect list, Travis Blankenhorn. Um, he's a guy who is pretty well-traveled. Uh, he was initially drafted by the Minnesota Twins in the third round of the 2015 draft out of high school. Where did he go? He went to Pottsville High School, which is in Pennsylvania. Um, he was going to go to the University of Kentucky, but he ended up signing for the Twins. Um, he basically worked his way up from, you know, the, the GCL low minors. Now he's in AAA. Um, basically the biggest issue with him has been like pitch recognition. Um, he's got power. He's got a solid hit tool. He can play um, infield. He can play outfield. Neither one of them great, but, you know, good enough. Uh, the thing is, though, he's just a very aggressive hitter. You know, he, he takes his hacks. Uh, um, a lot of swing and miss. And, um, you know, that drags down his his uh, average and on base and everything like that, but it does maximize the power output. And he... he has some solid power. Um, in 48 games last year with Syracuse, he hit nine homers, so, you know, that's not bad. But that came with 53 strikeouts, so, yeah, that's not great either. But he's very much in a similar mold as Carlos Cortez, you know, just the kind of guy that there's solid power, questionable bats, so you're not really sure how much of that power will actually translate in-game. And then... You know, a defensive profile where he could fit in the infield, all right, but nothing special. He could fit in the outfield, you know, left field, um, or right, you know, nothing particularly special. But the sum of all those parts are, you know, just a, a guy that can put up okay numbers. I think I disagree with that pretty strongly, actually. Particularly the comp to Cortez. Like, mm-hmm. He's been significantly better in double A and just put up a 130 weighted in triple A this past season. Uh, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm smoking something, but I feel like it's a little crazy in a system as thin as this that a 25 year old multi position, not necessarily good, but multi position utility guy who has Frankly, it may be dominated is too strong a word, but to hit the shit out of the ball in both double A AA and triple A the past couple of seasons is checking in at, at, at 2022, did we just say? Like, that seems crazily low in this system. Like, the dude's a major league ready, semi long half of the platoon bat, basically. I, I don't, I, I, I don't I think what he's a, that good. 
because I think he's like a bench player. Like you just bring him up and send him back down after. Yeah, I mean, I don't see. He's better than Cortez, though. Like I would rather him be a shuttle guy than Cortez. But like he's... if he has to play fifty games for the Mets, that's fine. He has actual defensive utility, whereas Cortez doesn't. I think he has actual defensive utility. I think his batting eye has improved significantly in the last year. Like he walked uh more than he walked fifteen percent of the time in AAA this year. Like. And and yes, we should mention that the the quality of the upper minors pitching this past season in both Double A AA and Triple A was, to put it politely, garbage for obvious pandemic related reasons. But I, I, I that was like the one wart with him in my eyes, and he's he's improved that significantly. Um, and the very brief stat cast numbers we got were nice. Like he had a high, pretty good, uh, uh, average exit velo. Uh, not enough for me to worry about his max being low. I mean, if I was smart, I would have tried to get his AAA stat cast numbers, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like we're, we're way undervaluing a guy who, who has a present major league role. Um, in a, in a very thin system. It's possible because this past season, he was very much in demand. He started off the season with Minnesota, then he claimed, got, got claimed off the wave, waivers, excuse me, um, in, in early May by the Dodgers, then in late May by the Mariners, and then in early June by the Mets. And he played on six teams in total, so. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Teams, other teams obviously, there's something there. Obviously. It makes sense because he's shown that he has a lot of he has bop in his bat and he plays the infield and does that and plays multiple positions and he has options and he's only twenty five. Like guys like that are always gonna get claimed by teams who just need someone. And the Mets need infielders, like they need backup infielders. Like Luis Guillorme pulls his hamstring in training camp and all of a sudden it's like a freaking like stress to try to find out who's gonna be your backup infielder you know like it's just they don't have a lot of them like it's just thin right now of course they could sign people and it'll be fine but like look like a, only a poverty franchise would guarantee this guy a starting oh, yeah. job or even pencil him into a platoon role like you're right his optimal role is a bench bat but i think he's a present good bench bat with the potential for more um yeah, I, I wouldn't be mad if he's on the Mets bench. Like, I wouldn't bat an eye on it. I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, if he if he wins the position, if he wins the spot out of spring training, then great. It obviously means you know he's been able to tap into those tools that he has and and has shown the organization that okay, maybe he is worth it. Or even if he doesn't, and they have some other vet that they sign after the lockout, and that guy ends up being washed, and they cut him and they bring him up, I'll be like, okay, cool. Like, that's what he's here for. And then he plays a bit, and that's it. I mean, this is exactly the sort of, if we're talking, like, roster construction philosophy, I think this is exactly the sort of piece you want to have either on your bench or at the back end of your 40. Someone who serves a functional depth role, who has options, and also has that upside for more, right? So you're not sacrificing anything. You're not rostering some veteran retread who is what he is. You're not rostering someone who's stuck on your roster and like you're, you're 20, 26 man. I almost said 25 man. Um, and you're also not hanging on to an upside dude who gives you nothing. Yeah. So I, 
Maybe I'm overvaluing him simply because it's it's fits with my ideal roster construction philosophy. But I, I like Blankenhorn quite a bit. I was very excited that the Mets got him for free. It's the exactly type of guy they should be claiming with how thin the upper minors is for them. Yeah. And how like, I understand why the Dodgers waved this dude because they exactly. have like yeah. six of them. <laughs> yeah, because like like that's what you have to do right now is the Mets have to live off the 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 guys who just don't make it on the really good systems and stuff mm-hmm. like that because it has nothing to do with Blankenhorn. It has more to do with who else is there in L.A. or wherever. And just because I guess it's worth noting, uh, Blankenhorn also did make his major league debut. He got into uh, a single game in 2020 with the Twins in mid-September. Uh, he went one for five in that game with a double and a hit by pitch. So... And he played like twenty games last year. Mm-hmm. So like he was, he wasn't great in them. He did have, I think, a home run in Pittsburgh in that like wild comeback game. But if I'm remembering that correctly, but yeah, like that's what he's here for. Uh, so Blankenhorn's clearly one of the better names in the system, right? Ah, and mm. we get to the most important part of the prospect: the name grade. <laughs> oh yeah, easy seventy. Yes, agreed. We have here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody that's actually got any, you know, of our votes is a better name than Blankenhorn. Plummer has one that's funny for comedic reasons, I think. Like, you can make, we can make a lot of puns with Plummer, I think. Plumbing the depths, make various jokes about actual plumbers, like, but Blankenhorn, uh, Ken makes a very good point. Again, I mean, we will bemoan this for his entire professional career, but if the N and the G were switched in Jake Mangum, then you would have- <laughs> Oh, I've told this story on the podcast before where when they drafted him, I really read it as Magnum. I'm like, fuck yeah. We just drafted the team named Jake Magnum. <laughs> but unfortunately, not to be. Uh, Dr. Mantis Toboggan approves. Uh, well, actually, speaking of good names, here's number 21 is right-handed pitcher Junior Santos, who is six foot eight. Um, Mets acquired him as an international, <coughs> excuse me, free agent in 2018. Pushed him pretty aggressively. Um, he made his uh, DSL debut that year, and then uh, in 2019 he made a stateside debut. Uh, excuse me, at the end of 2018 uh, and then 2019, you know, uh, pitched a full season in the short season, uh, Appalachian League. This year, Santos was eh, not particularly great, but not that bad either. Um, in 96 innings, he had a 459 ERA. He allowed 108 hits. He walked 38. He struck out 79. Um, it was basically league average. There's things to like. Obviously, um, he was the third youngest player in the league, so being that young and able to, you know, be a league average player, that's good. Um, the fastball was a bit down velocity-wise. It averaged about 93 in last season, um, which is slightly down from like 94, 95, 96 that it's at in like 2019. 
Um, Max Velocity 2 was down a little bit. It hit as high as 95 last season as opposed to 97 in 2019. But on the plus side, it seems that that was a little intentional because his walk rates were a little better. Um, so, you know, take the good with the bad, I guess. And then complementing his fastball, there's a slider and a changeup. Um, you know, neither pitch right now is particularly great. The changeup is basically very raw, and the slider is, you know, a workable pitch at this level. Uh, the slider is his main swing or miss uh, offering. I like him. I know Lucas does not like him. Convince me. Tell. Can, can I make the argument, counter argument, and then you can tell me why I'm wrong, Steve? Sure. I mean, you might not be wrong. But go why ahead. Why are we ranking a dude who is now 20 years old in a ball, which is no longer that young? Whose big selling point was frame-based projection, but coupled with command concerns, who has since lost velocity while not really addressing the command concerns that that uh, completely, and also seeing almost no progression on his secondary pitches. Like, like what's the selling point here? And you could throw in the fact that his arm slot is really not that not leveraging his frame either. No, he definitely does not. So I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't really get like speaking of like I don't really get what the Mets are doing with him. Like he was always way younger than everyone in the leagues he was in, and he struggled. And they were just like, "All right, keep doing it." And like, like, like I, I get pushing him, but. Like, he was, like, four years younger than everyone else in Kingsport, and he was three years younger than everyone else in St. Lucie, according to baseball reference, the, the little age difference uh, meter that marker that they have. Mm. And it's, like, that's significant. Like, those are a lot of, of eight, like, years. Especially, like, you, you could, like, the difference between, like, a 21-year-old baseball player and a 17- and 18-year-old one is pretty massive. So I never really understood the the like the the plan with him like it just kind of felt like they decided he could be pushed and that was it and they just didn't like they didn't figure out anything any other way to handle him and maybe when he should have when he needed another path so that's the thing that confused me about him yeah no agreed i mean he's always been pushed pretty hard and there's been a relative lack of i mean from what we hear and see anyway lack of like you know hype and and push from the organization even though they are pushing him um anyway though for to to answer lucas's question you know as as thomas mentioned he's very young He, he was the youngest pitcher in the league he was league average he didn't take the steps forward that you know statistically that we wanted to see i can agree with that at the same time though i think that having access to some some of the statcast information like i'm getting a different picture of santos um you know he can throw hard but i don't think that that's really what he's going to be i think he's really going to be more of like a sinker ball guy um his fastball gets some good sync 
his slider is the kind of you know I was I was when I was writing about him or whatever I was looking into like all the kind of spin access stuff and you know uh all those kinds of weird things that we have more data about from major league guys but his slider fits more of the bill of like a gyroscopic spin slider and has Ooh. a lot like downward moment movement excuse me he gets at least last season anyway he had basically 50% ground ball rate um you know his his biggest thing was i think giving up a little too many home runs which kind of screwed up, you know, the fly balls. But I think he's the kind of guy that, like you were saying, if he could learn to leverage his size and mechanics to, you know, complement that and really get more downward movement on his fastball and and work low in the zone and stuff like that, he could be a a solid ground ball pitcher. I don't think that he's going to be a star or nothing like that at this point. Mm. But, you know, there's utility I think there's an interesting philosophical argument. Like, no, everything you've said is correct, and this system sucks, so it's fine. <laughs> I think there's an interesting philosophical argument to be had about whether it's um, better to bet on a guy like this, who doesn't really do anything well, but has the potential to do several things well, as opposed to a guy like Levi David or a couple of the guys in that bucket who rank slightly higher who do one thing really well but then have other, some other very big warts and are perhaps further along I, I, I think there's a real uh, developmental philosophy question there about what what profile would you rather play with definitely so, I mean that's uh, you know when we when we make up our own lists those are the kind of philosophical things that cause us to all have different lists mm-hmm. and rank guys different places Mm-hmm. Also, I will be completely honest. I feel like I'm just biased towards Santos because he was like the marquee guy that I got to see when I went to go to Kingsport, you know, like, yeah. so, you know, if his name was not Junior Santos, if his name was just, you know, Bob, whatever, Martinez, I would probably just be like, yeah, whatever. And I would agree. Like, this is a guy where nothing really stands out too much. Nothing really one no one aspect of his game really uh is plus or above average or anything like that <coughs> excuse me so yeah i mean i will admit that i am i'm biased here i would also say that like while we have seen he's been around the mets like minor league system for a while since 2018 and his name's been here for a while but he's just going to be 20 like he it's kind of prospect fatigue with a very young player. And I feel that way about someone else who's going to be much higher on in the list too. But like, it's weird to have prospect fatigue about someone who is, wouldn't even be graduating college yet, but that's kind of what it, that's at least how I feel about him. Like he's just been in the same kind of the same levels of the Mets system and just kind of doing the same things over and over Then I'm like, all right, whatever. Like it, it is what it is at this point, but it's very much not because he's a kid. He was, he just played last year at 19 years old. Like, you know, Mm-hmm. He feels older than that. He feels like he's like 23 or 24. Yeah. On the flip side, though, I think we sometimes overrate this kind of guy because yes. there was hype when they were 17. Exactly. Yeah. And right. we say, well, it's still Junior Santos, even though he's made little to no progress in three years yeah. since. It's, it's very easy for you to kind of hand wave away the, the struggling seasons because you're like, well, he's only a kid or only 19. And mm-hmm. it's, 
the hype around them, but you have to balance the two, I think. Clearly, I'm just a hater. <laughs> Shocking. All right, well, next up now on the list is number 20, um, another right-handed pitcher, Brian McTwire. He was drafted in 2018 in the 40th round out of Louisiana State uh, University of Alexandria. And, you know, little factoid on the back of his baseball card, he will be forever the very last 40th round pick that Mets signed because their uh, 40th round pick in the 2019 draft, Camden Loverich, he did not sign. So, Loverich, that's a great, that would have been a great name. What a miss. That would have been the best name in the system by far. Yeah. Oh no, can you imagine the Richard Staff tweets? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't meant to be. Oh no. <laughs> so, with McGuire, um, you know, He's been in the system, obviously, 2018 and 2019, and then this past season, 2021. And he was very un... That's a good way, but... His his professional debut in 2018, you know, nothing particularly special, not, not particularly great... He spent all 2019 with the Cyclones. Same thing, you know, wasn't particularly great. Um, wasn't bad, but just nothing was particularly special. This season, though, he was pretty good. Um, with Brooklyn, now a high A team, he posted a 218 ERA in 33.0 innings, uh, allowed 14 hits, walked 16, and struck out 46. And then appeared in a couple of games with Binghamton towards the end of the season when they had that big COVID outbreak and they just were basically pr- promoting whoever they had around. Um, I don't, I, I don't remember seeing Matoire in 2019 with the Cyclones. I mean, I probably did because just the amount of games, you know, that I saw between the four of us, I'm sure that Someone must have seen him at some point with the Cyclones in 2019. But, I probably did. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it, it would be a statistical anomaly for none of us to have. But nothing stood out. Whereas no. yeah. this season, obviously the numbers were good. And, you know, the numbers are good. And then you notice, like, okay, what's this guy doing? And then you see, like, oh, okay. So I don't know if between 2019 and now 2021, like, he went back to the drawing and change things. I do know at, in his scouting report when he was uh, drafted by the Mets initially, you know, we did note that he had a good curveball. Now, you know, he has an exceptional curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get this to is that like what we want Levi David to do. Right. I mean, basically, Maguire is Levi David, you know, 2.0 with a little bit of professional experience instead of a little bit of collegiate experience. Um, the, the fastball is like, all right, you know, he, he's a, a, and the, the fastball averages about 92 or so. It gets a little lower when he's throwing it as a sinker. It's a little higher when he throws it as a cutter, but they get hit hard, which is not good. But he gets a lot of ground balls, so defense is pretty important. Um 
but his bread and butter obviously is when his fastball is working and then he could, you know, uh, throw his curveball off of that. And his curveball is very, very good. Plus, you know, maybe even that mythical plus plus. Um, during the AFL, when he was pitching the AFL, we got StatCast data and his curveball, it averaged 3,205 revolutions per minute and it maxed out at 3,492 RPM. By comparison, Seth Lugo, who we've talked about, has a very good curveball. His average curveball spin rate was for last season was 3,261. So, um, Mitch curveball, you know, is comparable to Seth Lugo. And Lucas Sims, who had the, the highest spin rate of the curveball of anybody in last season was, uh, 3,349. So again, his curveball matchwires is comparable to those two guys. The pr- problem, though, and unlike those other two guys, is that you know Matchwire does not seem to know where the hell it's going when he throws it. He has zero idea <laughs> where the ball is going. Just none at all. Negative idea of where the ball is going. Not good to see. <laughs> So, you know, when we're not saying, you know, even though the curveballs have very similar RPMs and everything, there's more to it than just that in terms of making it a workable pitch. And Lugo and Sims, they figured that out. Machuire, not so much. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, I don't know if you can fit something like that. You know, there are some guys that they just get, they're... Pitches are just so good and just have so much movement that, like, you can't really control it, you know, unless you just scrap it at your grip and you try something new. But why would you want to do that when your pitch is so good, you know? Yeah, this is kind of the uh, Craig Kimbrell approach to pitching. Of I'm just going to throw my shit and it's going to move an insane amount. Good luck. But, yeah. you know, Matoyer is not Craig Kimbrell. No, that probably. It would be cool if he becomes one, though. That would be a nice, uh, a welcome addition, I would say. Yeah, yeah, free. We have, we have Craig Kimball at home. Good outcome for fortieth round pick. Yes. It is. Yeah. He they left him unprotected, right? Yeah. Yes. Just so fucking that whole thing now. Wild shit. Let's send the dude to the AFL to show him off, and then also yeah, leave so weird. him unprotected. That was so weird. Just, just Mets things. Just strange. Like it's not like I. It, it probably won't break the the future of the franchise or anything. It's just odd. Like it's just a weird thing to do. It's another one of those micro failures I always mm-hmm. rant about. Yeah, it's so weird. Is there a way on Baseball Reference to look at every single 40th round pick ever? Probably, but I'm incompetent, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, me and me and Baseball Reference. We don't get along too well. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. Like, I, I just don't like. I feel I, I'm, like I'm an old person when I try to use baseball <laughs> reference. I just Me can't too. do it. I don't know why. It's just something about the way everything's set up and the way my brain is wired. It just does not mix. I, I'm looking at that website like, like I've never used a computer before when I'm on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so comforting to hear. Well, all right. Well, I mean, at least in the same year that. Matuaya was drafted 2018. Um, there have been no other 40th round picks that have made it to the major league, so that's 
That's good. Uh, let's see. Maybe that's a little too soon. Let's go look at 2017. Any 40th round picks? No. Try 2016. No. I'm sure that there have been 40th round picks who have made it because, I mean, obviously, like, oh, here we go. Here we go. In 2015, the Padres drafted Trevor Larnach. Oh, he didn't he, sign with them, no, though, right? he didn't sign with them, though. So that, no, because he's a, he's a twin, isn't twin. he? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, here we go. All right. So the last 40th round pick to make it. Well, I don't know about uh... – oh, yeah, because these guys didn't sign. All right, so the last 40th round player to pick to, to make it to the major leagues was in 2015, and the Pittsburgh Pirates drafted a left-handed pitcher, Daniel Zamora. Oh, wow. Oh. We're just digging up all the old left-handed Mets relievers at this point. We've got Josh Edgen. Daniel Zamora. Can we get a Jack Leathersitch mention up in here? Uh, I'm out of names. Well, the next guy on our list is a left-handed pitcher. Um, Perfect. I guess he, he he has made his major league debut. Um, hopefully he has more success than he did in his debut, and hopefully he has more success than the Edgins and the Leathersitches and the Zamoras and everybody. But number 19 is, is a guy we've been talking about for a very, very long time. Thomas Zapucky. Um Sad trombone noise. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it was a very forgettable year for him. Um, it, it, We all felt like, okay, 2021 was going to be his make-or-break season because, you know, obviously all that success early on, and then Tommy John, and then he came back in 2019, and, you know, like, at times looked not particularly great, and then other times looked like, okay, like, he's getting his stuff back, that's cool. So we were like, okay, you know, 2020 is going to be his make-or-break year. Obviously, 2020 didn't happen. So then we were like, okay, 2021 is going to be his make-or-break year. And, you know, it was it was uh not much of a season. Obviously, you know, his major league debut was not good. Um and then he was put on the disabled list, and his his year came to an abrupt end. He had ulnar nerve transposition surgery, and that was that. For what it's worth, more than half the players that do have that surgery are able to return to the field, and about you know majority of them also return to the field at the same level. So that's good. Is it good. weird that that surgery makes me more optimistic? Right, like if he was. was- Tommy John. Then if he had nothing, right? If he was healthy oh, right. and put yeah. up oh, these numbers, I'd be like putting a fork in the dude. But the ulnar nerve surgery is not a real, at least as I understand it, and I pulled up the a, a man a paper explaining it um, with my limited medicine, medical knowledge here. Um, it's not really a structural issue. It's just your nerve is in the wrong spot, right? So it's not as if they're, repairing any sort of load-bearing elements in his elbow. They're just kind of shifting the nerve so it gets bothered less. Uh, This is something that Steven Matz and Jacob deGrom both had done, I believe. Um, I know Steven Matz for sure. deGrom Um, had it in 2016. hmm. That's why he missed the end. So this is just just a thing that causes an insane amount of pain. 
Isn't it also common when you have Tommy John? Yes, like, it is a common like, long. It's a common medium to long term side effect. Yeah. So if he's pitched, right, the fact that he's pitching through pain gives me hope that okay, maybe if he's pain free, there's there's more in the tank here. Yeah, I'm hoping. I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, you know. Uh, Jesus Christ, this year I was 15. I forgot it was that bad. <laughs> Christ. I mean, at, at the end of the day, last season, he only threw, like, 40 innings, so. Yeah. And and the, the walks, the ERA, you know, the ERA was not too terrible, but obviously, you know, you got to look under the tank. And, you know, the walks, there's a lot of walks. He was allowing a lot of hard contact. He did strike out almost nine batters per inning, you know, nine per inning, which is... Encouraging. Encouraging. Like, you would think as bad as everything else was, like, okay, he would, he you know, uh, the guys would be... He wouldn't be missing bats. And he was, you know, so that is encouraging. So, yeah, I mean, it just feels like we've been kicking the can down the road for literal years with Zabucky. And, again, I think that this is another year where we just didn't see what we needed to see in terms of how how the stuff is and how he will be able to get batters out enough to say either, yeah, he's back or he's done. Uh this is, uh, I'll say at least for me, barring extreme circumstances, this is the last year I'll rank him in all yeah, likelihood. Me too. Um, Unless he's good. Obviously, if he's good, then we're going to. Right. If he's good, if he's good, he's going to graduate, you would think. But if he's yeah, good and true. somehow doesn't graduate, um, I'd rank him. Any other situation, I'm, uh, he's, he's, this is his last year, basically. Yeah. I mean, he will be, oh, do, 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 he is 25. He'll be turning 26. You know, it's not very often that you have older left-handers that are considered prospecty players. And that's an excellent segue to our number 18 <laughs> prospect, who is an older left-hander who is considered a prospecty guy. And that is Josh Walker. All right, hold on. Before you go into the whole spiel here, I need to take sure. a victory lap. Because I and I should have screenshotted it in fucking April of this year. I asked in the in the Miners channel, "Is Josh Walker I the remember dude?" That. <laughs> I remember that. And that I just have forgotten about, or is he actually good? Because he was posting some good stat lines, and I watched the video. I'm like, this guy looks good. Was he someone that has just slipped my mind completely? And everyone was like, "No, no, he's nothing." Like, oh, okay. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, to be right? fair, I don't think he's good. <laughs> I ranked him. I ranked him. Uh, my, I originally did not rank him on my list, and then I went back and I felt almost like peer pressured to do so because everyone else did, and I was just kind of be like, "Oh man!" All the cool I, kids were doing it. Yeah, and we'll get into why I think that in a minute. But um, Mets drafted him in the 37th round of the 2017 draft out of the University of New Haven. And he barely threw um, throughout his entire Mets career. Um, you know, he finished out that season pitching. They sent him to, um, you know, GCL and Kingsport. 
And in 2019, they send him to St. Lucie and, you know, he was going to basically get a full year's, you know, workload. St. Lucie, you know, a full season affiliate at the time. Well, they still are, but, you know, that's how things worked back then in 2019. And he got in a car accident and he basically missed the entire season because of that. And then obviously 2020 COVID happened and, you know, he missed the entire season because of that. So dude basically missed two entire seasons worth of game, in-game experience and everything like that. But he finally was healthy and the rest of the country was healthy-ish enough to have baseball. And, you know, he was successful. Um, he started the year this year with the Brooklyn Cyclones. He got promoted to Binghamton. Um, and then in late July, he got promoted to Syracuse. And cumulatively, out of all those three places, he had a 373 ERA in 115.2 innings, allowing 89 hits, walking 29, and striking out 98. Um, for what's worth, he was very blah in Syracuse as opposed to being, you know, pretty solid to good in uh, Brooklyn and um, Binghamton. Blah, I think, is too kind to his yeah, he was bad. performance. He was, he was bad. <laughs> uh, just say, but, hmm. um, you know, he, he's left-hander. He's kind of a big left-hander, kind of a slingy, long delivery. Fastball sits in the low 90s, you know, 92, 93 or so. And then he has a, a big loopy curveball and a fringe average changeup. And that's the reason why I don't think he's all that great is because the numbers were like, okay, but just the stuff is very, you know, like, okay, he's a left-hander that could throw the low 90s. Good, but I mean, in today's day and age, it's starting to get less impressive as, you know, the years go on, but... It just his stuff is like seems to be good enough to get minor league players out, but I don't think that the stuff is good enough to get major league players out. And we kind of saw a preview of that in Syracuse. So I'm curious to see how he does with a full year in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like, of course, he's a little older. He's like going to be 27 next year. But I mean, even if like he ends up being a good player, I don't think he's going to be anything more than like a back end rotation like bullpen filler guy. But also. The Mets need that. <laughs> if, yeah. if, if if he is that, um, that's a good outcome because we saw last year how quickly it could. You're 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 giving starts to all types of retread older vets who are just not good, and like you're giving Jared Eikhoff multiple starts, and it's <laughs> like you, you can't be having that, you know. So like if if he could, in essence, be better than that, then that's fine. Uh, and that's we're going to see how another year in Syracuse does him. Yeah, I mean, some of his struggles last year might have just been, like, um, what's the word? I'm drawing a blank. It's very... Fatigue? Yes. Well, I, was, I choked to death as I try to say the word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, the guy threw 115 innings in total. Mm-hmm. In Syracuse, he threw 50 innings, you know, so that's half of a season. And prior to that, he hadn't pitched competitively in, you know, basically two years. So Yeah, it's – I could see that too, for sure. Yeah. I don't think he's so, a starter. I think his changeup is Garbo. But probably not a starter. 
I'm partial to my big curveball boys. Of course, I'm also reading now. I didn't even rank him as I'm bragging about talking about him back in <laughs> April. So That's so funny. So I'm a fucking I idiot. honestly, in my first run through of the rankings, when I first, first wrote it all up, I forgot that he was in existence. I had him at like 14 in my first ranking, and I'm like, no, no, don't be stupid. Don't and be. um, then I put him in because I was like, there's someone that I'm not remembering. And then in my second run through, I was like, oh, yes, yes, Mm-mm. he exists. <laughs> Easily forgettable. No offense to the man, but. I mean, maybe he's next year's Tyler McGill, and we're all very happy with half, like, how he does. Tyler That's McGill, uh, the next Jacob deGrom. How can we forget? <laughs> that is very true. It's true. <laughs> hey, knock on wood. Oh, my God. All right, well, last guy that we will discuss today is number 17 prospect, Jose Budo. And he was signed uh, uh, as an international free agent out of Venezuela in 2017. (sighs) Very boring, Jose Budo. Excuse me. I mean, that has been the entire uh, (laughs) back end of this uh, uh, system, so. (laughs) But as we were kind of talking about with, you know, Thomas Zipaki and... And Junior Santos, like, just guys that feel like they've been around forever. Budo is another guy that just kind of feels like he's been around forever. You know, 2017 is not that, that long ago. But basically his, he's had, you know, periods of being solid since being signed prior to the season. He's had periods of being not particularly good. And he's had periods of being like, okay, like, this guy's pretty good. So... I guess everything came together this past season um, in totality anyway. With Brooklyn, he was just kind of eh. He had a 432 ERA in 58.1 innings. He allowed 51 hits. He walked 15 and he struck out 60. And then his work in Binghamton was a bit better. And he got – that's basically uh, his second half. He had uh, 3.12 ERA in 40.1 innings with 33 hits allowed, 9 walks, and 50 strikeouts. And all in all, he had a 3.83 ERA in 98.2 innings. And part of the success, I guess, is that he's added some velocity to his fastball. Um, I saw him a bunch in Brooklyn in 2018, I think it was, and I saw him again in Kingsport in 2019. I'm not not Kingsport, in Columbia in 2019. And, like, the stuff was, the fastball was always kind of, like, eh, fringy. Like, it sat high 80s to, to low 90s, like 91, 92. Now, this past season, it was sitting, you know, 92, 93, and topping out 95. So, that's a much healthier fastball. And, obviously, his bread and butter is a change-up. Um, it is one of the better, like, individual pitches in the system, you know, just like Matoyer's curveball or David's uh, curveball or who has, like, the best fastball, we'd say. Like, Montez de Oca, you know, would have the individual best fastball. Yeah, that's up there. Um, Can you throw it in the zone before we call it the best? I mean, mean, not really, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's best, really? Right. I mean, just... (laughs) Probably good. Matthew (laughs) Allen, maybe? Matthew yeah, Allen with no elbow ligament still yeah. has the best fastball. <laughs> Left-handed Matthew Allen has the best fastball in the system. 
but out of all of the change-ups, Budo um, has the best. Uh, it's a good pitch. You know, it has 10 miles per hour of velocity separation. It, it tunnels well with the fastball. It has a lot of late downward action. It's what you want to see. Um, the slider that he throws, well, really, it's like a curveball. Um, you know, it's okay. It's kind of comes and goes, touch and go. Sometimes it gets pretty loose and it's like very slurvy. Other times he tightens up a bit and it's like, all right, a fringy pitch. But this is another guy that, you know, the numbers were good this past season. Um, and I do see more in Budo than I do in Josh Walker because he does have, you know, a, a pretty good fastball. Obviously, he has a very good changeup. And he also has a very good command of his pitches. But, I mean, at 17, I don't really see much in Budo. I'm not too big of a fan of him. I wonder how he would do in one inning clips, like with just kind of spamming his changeup. Uh, like, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he has the extra pitch, the stuff outside of the changeup to start in the majors, because I feel like you see that for three innings and then it's like, all right, well, this is what it is. I think yeah. that's the real unfortunate thing about most changeup guys yeah. who have a changeup. Like a changeup, much more than other secondaries, requires a fastball setup. Yeah, like you just can't really – like you could be Andrew Miller and just throw sliders all day and it's fine. Right. But like Jose Budo can't go up there and throw eight changeups because then guys are going to be like, well, all right. <laughs> who, has, who has like the best changeup in baseball at this point? Uh... Ian Anderson maybe? Yeah, maybe. That's a good call. That's a good call. Um, but even, like, I mean, going back to, like, Johan, like, he had other pitches. Like, right. he just, like, he set up the changeup with his other stuff, and, of course, that was, like, an otherworldly good changeup. But still, like, he threw that whenever he wanted and for whatever, like, in whatever counts, really. But also, Does, he wasn't, he, he had other things to set that up, and he had the fastball. And Does Nestor Cortez throw a changeup? I feel like he would be the guy that would. He throw looks a like someone who. We're <laughs> we're idiots. Lucas Giolito. Oh yeah, good call. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think Lucas G- so Giolito. May- I guess it depends on the type of changeup. Like some changeups are change, movement right? changeups, and some are velo difference changeups. Like Zach Ranky's changeup is the same speed as his fastball, but it works because movement is different, basically. Um. Ultimately, though, I, I think it's fair to say that on average, a changeup requires more setup than other secondaries. Yes. So I and it's also a I don't know how well that works in one inning stints, right? It's how it, it's a pitch that helps you set up batters, not even oh, over sure. yeah. one at bat, but multiple. So I wonder how it works. Like, like I I don't know the answer. Like, because if if he was if his best pitch was a slider, and we're talking about that, then I'd be like, yeah, throw him in the bullpen. That's it. Goodbye. So yep. Like, mm-hmm. like. I would have already been saying, hey, maybe we should try him in the bullpen now for as in the major leagues, considering he's a little bit older. But, a guy like Levi David, I, David, I wouldn't even bother trying to start him. Just put him in the yeah, bullpen and that's spam fair. the fuck out of the curveball. Um, like just put him in high leverage bullpen situations now, like make him close it like a closer <laughs> and stuff, and just be like, go not in not yeah, on the match, but like um, Levi David straight to the major. Yeah, right, straight to the big leagues. But um, I wonder how a guy like that would work as a reliever just because it's you don't see that you don't see the outside of like trevor hoffman the 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 dominant reliever whose pitcher whose pitch is a changeup. like it's just it's not really a thing so i wonder how that would go it was joey 
Lucchese used as a reliever this past season? He was, right? They kind of used him as like a weird opener, follower, yeah. reliever. Guy. Like, they kind of moved him around. And then obviously his changeup is not a normal changeup. I so. mean, it's a whole other, it's yeah. like its own thing. It's its own thing. Sure. Yeah, he like invented a pitch, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's one cool thing, looking through the very limited, like, Statcast data that we have publicly available with some minor league players is like looking at some of the stuff and being like, "All right, this guy's you know this guy doesn't have a normal changeup or this guy doesn't have like a normal slider based on the way that it moves and the spin rate and all that kind of stuff." Like it's really cool to see like mm-hmm. some of the more advanced breakdowns of some of this stuff. It is. It also gives you a better just idea of them as a player too. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, look at look at you know the the hype with McGuire. You know, would it be as fun to be like, yeah, he has a really good curveball, or to be this dude has a freaking curveball has thirty five thousand RPM and it has fifty inches of vertical drop? Yeah, right. Like, Holy yeah. shit! Yeah. And like, that's look, the type of stuff yeah. that like the Mets seem to have kind of lean towards in this draft. Guys like that instead. And I wonder if that's going to be a thing they keep doing. Because a lot of the, the the arms that they took after Rocker were, they had spin rate stuff. And even, like, Levi Levi David was a late pick. And I'm pretty sure it's because of his pitch. Like, his curveball. Like, I'm pretty sure they were to, like... Uh, oh, no. Uh, Vassal didn't make the list, but the other one did. But, we'll get to him next week. Exactly. And, and Vassal's another one who's in that same conversation. It's just, like, a little... He's a little worse, but like at least right now. But um, yeah, it's just interesting to see like a fo- it's kind of a philosophical change with the Mets drafting uh, since last year, and I wonder how that continues going into next year when they have a million picks in the early rounds and stuff. Well, I mean, if you're going to be doing very, what's a good way of putting it? specialized drafts like the Mets have been doing the last two years, then you might as well maximize what you're going to get out of the guys mm-hmm. that you are picking. Because no, yes, you, don't yeah. want to be picking, you don't want to be picking the Colby Woodmanzies and the Blake Tiberis and the, you know, it's kind of a waste. Who is the really shit catcher um, from Louisiana? <laughs> that, list, that list is long. <laughs> no, yeah, no, like the, the guy who was the third string catcher at his university that they drafted, uh, Oh, that sounds familiar. Last year, I mean, no, no, a couple, this is like a couple years ago. God damn it! Now I've got to look it up. If only you were better at baseball reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I'm feeling stupid now because I feel like I should know this. We Nick definitely. Have, that might be it. Um, the easiest way to do this is to go to MLB draft results because they have a tracker and then I can change it by year. And this is excellent content as I do a web search in an audio medium. Uh, is there a year for this? 2019, they drafted Jake Ortega and Matt O'Neill. Are you thinking of Matt O'Neill? No, that wasn't it either. It was, it was, it was, I'll find it while we do other things. I'll pull it up here eventually. Let's see. In 2018, they drafted catchers. They had Nick Meyer, Phil Capra, Hayden Sanger, 
Nelson Montpierre, and Zach Fasher, who did not sign. No, it was, must have been older than I realized. Let's try. I'm going all the way back to 2015 now. Jeez, uh, there are some names here. I'm sure, yeah. PJ Conlon. Huh. That was yeah. fun. No, I'm just like we're looking at these names and remem- remembering some dudes. That was yep. a fun start he had. Yes, yes. That didn't the, he wind up on the Dodgers? For like a hot second. Tyler yeah. Moore. Tyler Moore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From the Dunham School in Dunham School High School in uh, Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, Louisiana. Dude was like the third string catcher on his roster, and the Mets drafted him in the sixth round. What? (laughs) Yeah. You know, even he was like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) You guys got the right guy? Uh, Okay. He just hangs up. Okay. <laughs> These prank calls are getting very uh, uh, specific. I would rather get a, a call like that than a call about my car warranty. Oh, yeah, my, that, my poor Every day. My poor extended warranty. <laughs> if they called me claiming to be from the Mets and that they drafted me, I would believe it. I'd be like, all right, I'll see you in St. Lucie. <laughs> Pretty much. You need my social security? Okay, here you go. <laughs> So overall, on a scale of mm, one to ten, how confident, how happy, how whatever the emotion do you feel in the list that we went over today in terms of, like, these guys going to be major league players? I have no strong feelings one way or the other. No. <sighs> I mean, it's just the the after you get to through like 10 really and you could even say maybe even earlier than that maybe even a few after that it just doesn't matter like you could kind of put any of these dudes wherever like in whatever order really it's all kind of the same blob and i'm sure like some dude maybe some dudes pop and they fly up the boards and we're talking about them differently next year but that's the system right now it's just thin luckily they have the money to paper over it I have a I have a, a counter question a question kind of similar to Steve's of the one of the guys we've talked about here who's the most likely to be like a top fifteen name next year? Mm. David, if he has a good year, I think that's my answer too. Yeah, same. Like if he just like if they do what you're saying, they put him in the bullpen and he's just the dominant bullpen arm in the back end of some minor league bullpen, then we're going to have to rank him within the fifteen just because. That's what you're going to have to do. (laughs) I'm going to go with Dominguez. I can see that, too. Santos, if he takes a step forward. Yeah, Santos or or Dominguez. As much as I like David's, you know, like the curveball and everything like that, it just, there's a built-in limit that I can do with relievers, you know, like a philosophical thing. Like, can you really rank a reliever your, you know, 10th best prospect. Like, I mean, we were, we ranked, uh, God, what's his name? Um, the, the shorter reliever from LSU, I think it was. Um, Riley Gilliam? Yes, we ranked him pretty high sometimes. from Clemson? Clemson, Clemson, yes. Uh, it's in, it's in Louisiana, close enough. Yeah. Um, Clemson's in South Carolina. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up, Ken. Okay. Okay, so Steve, this is what you're gonna do, because I forgot that. It is in South Carolina. You're gonna edit that out, uh-huh. because that's rough. 
but we, the, um, we need the Jeremy Clarkson. We can edit that bit out. Here, that <laughs> but out. anyway, um, we ranked him in like 13 to 15 or whatever, I think, at some point. That's yeah. just sometimes that's what it is with a system that's thin and a guy performs because he did. And also, like, if you clean up that arm action and the curveball is preserved, there's something there, I think. But there's a big question as to whether you can even clean it up and then whether you clean it up if that ruins his curveball. Of course. He wasn't a first-round pick. He was a ninth-round pick. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. I agree, though. He's my favorite of these guys. We didn't have Gilliam in we definitely been ranking him, though. Like, I remember talking about him specifically on here. Yeah, it's, I guess it's the 2020 list. Let's see. Maybe 16 or something like that. In 2020, we ranked Riley Gilliam. 19. Yeah, so, like, if Which that happens... Thing for a reliever. Yeah, if that happens, then I wouldn't be surprised if he sneaks into 15 if the Mets make a trade to bolster the major leagues if they're in, in it at the deadline and they trade a few prospects to try to win a World Series. And obviously the draft will supplant them because especially they're going to have a million first-round picks and all that. But you never know what guys are going to be in and out in the system, too. So Let's see. In 2018 oh – no, excuse me. This is 2019. We have Eric Hanhold as number 16. Eric Hanhold. Wow. I like him a lot, actually. They got him for Neil Walker from the Brewers. Mm-hmm. And let's go I like him too, one Lucas. more year to 2018. Who is the highest ranked reliever? Ooh, in 2018, we had Ty Bachelor. Uh, number 12. Man, I thought uh, he was going to be good. <laughs> I, liked, I liked him. I did not. I don't think. Did I? I don't think I remembered it. I, remember, I, I just don't thought think he threw hard, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Put him in the bullpen. <laughs> here's, here, Lucas, here's your quotation on him. There are too many relievers on this, but Bachelor's my favorite. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he finally started to make good on the huge bonus that the Mets handed him as a prep arm in 2013, refining his control and posting gaudy strikeout numbers in high A and double A. If there's a future closer in the system, it's Bachelor, and I think we get a chance to see him deliver on that upside in the majors in late 2018. I mean, yeah. he, he played, well, I think, in 2018, right? He did. He did make the majors. He did not deliver. Um, <laughs> we've all we've all said some things. Ty Bachelor yeah, was with the Pirates and Triple A Pirates in, last year, and was basically Ty Bachelor. He made eight. He made eight appearances for the Pirates in 2020 and had an eight ERA. <sighs> we like symmetry. Well, yeah, that just uh, that just goes to show that sometimes guys don't really work out. And Seth Lugo goes to show sometimes guys do. Mm-hmm. Prospects. They don't pitching, make sense. Pitching prospects especially. Yeah, it's just sometimes. And then you get fun things like that. <laughs> All right, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could also follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at said Metzen, S-Z-N. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. So until next week, love the Mets. 